This is Celebration Church, but it's more than just a building or a church. We have a calling to be a place where people can find a relationship with God instead of religion. A place where freedom is found and acceptance given, and every person can discover their purpose and experience the kind of fulfillment only God can give. Together we will raise, lead, and empower a generation to change the world. Here, Jesus is famous, and all the glory goes to God. This is celebration. This is our family. Welcome home. Good morning. Welcome to Celebration Church. Let's all stand together as our campus is joined with us over in the Fox Valley and Stevens Point. Let's recite together the Apostles' Creed. This is our statement of faith. This is who we are and what we believe at Celebration Church. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who for us and for our salvation was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead, and on the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the fellowship of believers, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. That's why I write everything down here when I... <laughs> I closed my eyes and I got lost. Same thing happened to Phil a couple of weeks ago. I told him the same thing. You know, these prayers and stuff, we've all said them a million times. You should be able to do it in your sleep, right? As soon as you're in front of people, your brain freezes. And, and I used to read the thing with the rest of y'all, but then they'd mess up and then I'd be lost. And so... So if you ever watch me do that, I've always done na 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 that's because I will mess up. And now Becky knows the same. All right, praise the Lord. Those of you from our campuses, inside joke, you missed all that, but uh, it was highly entertaining. <clears throat> we, had, uh, we had man camp this week. A lot of guys were still up at man camp. Uh, how many guys? It was 100, 130 guys got together uh, being men, and it was awesome. So, so what'd you do? We stood around, ate meat, lots of meat, and insulted each other nonstop. It was wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> if you girls talk to each other the way we men do, you all would hate each other forever. But for men, the best insult, you love that guy the best. You know, whoever pulls it off, yeah, he's a man. You know, it was when I was with Pastor Keith, we had the the girly man cabin, and uh, for obvious reasons. And uh, so, so we had a pretty, we had our own little, we had our own private rooms, private bathroom, with a little tiny cabin, and we had our own little pot belly stove that we'd throw wood in there and stuff. It, it was awesome. And, uh, and we made it to the uh, uh, final playoff round of the Cornhole Tournament. Woo! Yeah, that's right, because we didn't sign up until then. So... <laughs> We walked in, we are undefeated, undefeated. No one has beat us yet. I'm going, really? Yeah, yeah, we just signed up, man. So we, we played the first round, a couple of brothers from Stevens Point, they beat us up, and we lost the first game, and we were done. 
Now, I don't know how you two boys on point are going to handle that on Judgment Day, but it is what it is. <laughs> to beat your pastors is a terrible thing to do. Anyway. <laughs> anyway, we had a blast. Good stuff. Good stuff. Uh, this morning, reading from 1 Corinthians, the ninth chapter, starting at verse 20. We are in the, still in the season of Epiphany. When is uh, Palm Sunday? Ash Sunday, not this Wednesday, but next Wednesday, right? All right, stay focused. Wednesday the 17th, all right. So we're looking for that. So we're wrapping this up, coming up to uh, the season of Lent. Talking about Epiphany. This is when you, one has an illuminating discovery, a realization, a disclosure. Like all of a sudden, yeah, boom, I could have had a V8. Those, kind of, those things are like epiphanies. Something finally dawns on you. And it's really important that we've been emphasizing this. this on the church calendar, we do this first part of the year, because it's really about that. If the Holy Spirit is not breathing life into what we are doing, people don't get it. Uh, you know, I've been in churches uh, that, uh, you know, God bless them. You know, they're dead, and they just don't know it yet. But there's no life in them whatsoever. And they're mechanical. And, la, 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 la. and everybody's repeating it. And I'm listening to the sermon. Everything they're saying is perfect. It's dead right on. But there is no life in the place. Because without the Spirit of God giving energy to the words that are spoken, sung, whatever, and thankfully there's tons of churches that do this right. I'm just talking about some that are just, you know, just in a rut. Without that, church becomes a drag. Hopefully you're not thinking that right now. <laughs> What's he talking about? What time's the game? You know. so, it's, so it's important to realize that at the end of the day, and then we have our prayer time the beginning of the year, where we're just encouraging the Spirit of God to fill this place. Because at the end of the day, unless God makes it real, we're, ex we're just working in vain. But that's not to say that we don't have to do things to try and make it clear to people. We need to do our very best. We're talking about that this morning. Uh, uh, so starting in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 20, Paul is writing about his outreach to the world around him. He says, to the Jews, I became like a Jew. Of course, he really was a Jew. Why would I do that? To win the Jews. To those under the law, they're following the technical rules of the Old Testament law, I became like one under the law, though I myself really not under the law, but why would he do that? So as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, we're talking about the Old Testament rules and regulations, I became like one not having the law, though I'm not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law. In other words, I just don't do whatever I want to do. Uh, so as to win those not having the law. So he would relate to those under the Jewish law and as much as he could. And to those who weren't, he would do the same, even though it was very, very different. He says, to the weak, I became weak. Why? To win the weak. I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means, I might save some. And I do this all for the sake of the gospel, that I, might, that I may share in its blessings. So Paul, obviously, preaching the gospel in all over the known world at that time. And wherever he would go, he would do his very best to relate to the people that he was talking to. Uh, and it's a challenge oftentimes, even though at the end of the day, God has to give the epiphany to people to understand the gospel. Sometimes the way that we can carry ourselves can make it hard for people. I've often shared with people, you know, they say, how, how do I win my neighbor to Jesus? Well, be nice to them. You gotta, if you don't win people to yourself, you're not going to win them to Jesus. 
you know, sometimes, you know, if you're obnoxious, nobody's going to want to be around you. And at times, people can be a little obnoxious. I've, I've known Christians who are just horribly obnoxious. And, you know, everybody just doesn't want to realize, man, I'm just suffering for the Lord, being persecuted. No, you're a jerk. You know, there's a, there's a big difference. You're just sticking your ecclesiastical finger in people's eyes, telling them what they're doing wrong. This is not helpful. And there's some people, for some reason, they just come obsessed with that, and they think this is sharing the gospel. No, you need to try and relate to people the best you can. Now, there's an extreme version of this. I remember growing up and, uh, you know, running into guys that, yeah, man, just become all things, all people. You know, I, I just, I smoke dope and, and pop LSD with my buddies so I can relate Jesus to them. Yeah, I don't think that's what he's talking about, you know. Just, there's stuff you don't do to relate to people. But having said that, not indulging in obsessive or destructive behavior, there are things you need to do to try and relate to people. And this can be a challenge, particularly if you're trying to relate to people who are outside your world. Now, one of the great things I love about Celebration Church is uh, we've got a mixed bag. I mean, there's people from all sides of the political spectrum and economic spectrum, the color spectrum and stuff. And it's just, this is one of these churches that we just don't care about those things. It's great and fabulous. I, I've always believed that I think God is not the most glorified when you get a bunch of people who all think the same. There's a lot of churches, that's their mentality. That's why 80% of the 400,000 churches in America have 100 people in them and less. Why? That's about as many people as you can get in a room that they all agree. <laughs> you know, it's all okay. we all agree about everything, you know? Uh, you know. Uh, I like this culture where we don't have to agree about everything. You know, God is the most glorified when you can love people you do not agree with. Right? Amen. Here's a Bears fan. <laughs> I still hug him. I hold my breath when I hug him, but I, I hug him. You know, because we need to love people. Everybody has to be the same all the time. And you will oftentimes find yourself put in situations where people are very, very different than you. And it can be a little uncomfortable and stuff, but make an effort best as you can to try and relate to these people and to share whatever version of faith that you have an opportunity to share in a way they can understand it. First of all, again, it can just be about being their friend. You know, you see someone who's having a hard time, you know, oh man, such and such, you know, broke down. So, oh, I know how to fix it. I'll stop by after work and give you a hand. Stuff like that. So, well, I'm not preaching to them. Well, no, but you're winning them. You got to let them know that you can be there for them. Sharing the gospel isn't just handing a, a track. Because we don't, a lot of people don't even know what that means today. Uh, tracks for these, how many know what a gospel track is? Yeah, we have some of the old Baptists in here. So, uh, uh, you know, these little printed out things where you'd give somebody and it would tell them why they're rotten and they need to get saved. Which they probably are rotten and need to get saved, but that wasn't particularly helpful to a lot of people. And they thought, well, I, I, was, I was sharing the gospel. Yeah, in a way, kind of, I mean. Uh, but how much better to win someone to let them know that you really care about them. You know, a lot of times you'll hear people uh, at work say, oh man, such and such, or, you know, find out my wife's got such and such, the doctor said. And, you know, that's, that's a great time to say, man, I'll tell you what, I'll, my wife, we'll, we'll pray for you guys tonight. When we're, little things like that really get people's attention, you know? Oh yeah, hardly anybody, I, well actually, I don't think I've ever met anybody who's in trouble and I said I would pray for them. Well, they said, no, I'd, I'd rather you not. You know what I'm saying? Because when people are in trouble, they're really open to God stepping in for them. 
and ask God to do miracles in people's lives. So turn things around and say, well, they're not believers yet. You know, some of the most incredible miracles in the New Testament were done for people who were not believers. It's how they became believers. You think, well, everybody's got to think and be just like me and make the same profession as me, and, and then God starts to move it in their life. No, the fun of this is if you'll be active and trust God, you can watch God move in people's lives who say they don't even believe in God. Dad always fries their brains, you know, when God starts showing them answering prayers, and it's, all you got to do is let them know, talk to them, connect with them. Uh, that kind of stuff is very powerful, particularly when you're doing it in a caring way and you're doing your best to relate to them. And the longer you're in church, the harder this becomes. It's, it's just true. It's usually, most people affect, most church growth happens with people who newly come to Christ, and then they drag all their friends in <laughs> with them until their friends can't take it anymore. Some of them get saved, some of them don't, you know. What happens with, when you're in church for a long time, eventually all of your friends become Christians. And it is what it is. I don't have a whole lot of heathen friends. I got a few you know, but it's hard, it's, you know, of course, everybody knows who I am, you know, <laughs> everybody clams up. I generally, I generally don't share with people that I'm a pastor if they don't know who I am, and I enjoy that, you know, because then they treat me normally. Yeah, yeah. as soon as they know you're a pastor, oh, oh yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, you like, you like the collar today? I look like an Anglican priest. You can call me father. I guess this is the new hip thing now. Reminds me of Nero jackets. How many remember Nero jackets? You know, everyone point, everybody points old. You all remember that? No, I'm just teasing. Nero jackets. You were like two years old, so you don't know. Anyway, so I, I think about marrying a, a younger wife. She doesn't know what you're talking about half the time. Oh, that was cool. I was four. Oh, yeah, I keep forgetting, you know. Nero jackets are kind of a hip thing, so see how long this stays. What am I talking about? Uh, I'm just talking, <laughs> relating to people. Oh, yeah, tell them I'm a pastor. Then they all become something that they're not, right? Uh, and uh, I just prefer rather people just be who they are. And, do, and I try to do my best to relate to them, you know, which means don't, don't jump on them for every little thing, you know? Some guys, oh, blankety, blankety, blank. You don't need to say, you know, the Bible says you shouldn't curse like that, you know? That's not being helpful, you know? Now, if the pastor's doing that, you might want to say, you shouldn't cuss like that, <laughs> or some Christian brother or your kids or whatever. But don't be looking for opportunities to knock people down. Do your best to relate to people and overcome cultural barriers, which is hard to do if you've always been on one side of the barrier. And, you don't, and sometimes people say, honestly, I don't know how to relate to certain types of people. Okay, but make an effort. Try. Do your best. Be as sincere as you can possibly be. And don't think that you have to be like them or they have to be like you for you to be their friend and stuff like that. I think some of the greatest statements is when someone who's on a certain side of whatever color barrier, economic barrier, intentionally steps over and wants to be your friend and help you out and be there for you. These are powerful little things that you can do that can really have a major impact in people's lives because eventually at some point they're going to want to know why do you do what you do? Why do you guys live like that? You know, how do you succeed in life? And that gives you the opportunity to share. Man, we're, we're Christians, and we take our faith seriously, and God is real, and, and it gives you these wonderful opportunities. Um, I'm going to jump now to the book of Acts. Now, in the New Testament, it starts out with the Gospels, four Gospels, boom, 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 boom. Then we have what's called the Acts of the Apostles. This is the early history of the New Testament church. And then all the epistles that come after that in the New Testament. So anyway, we're going to look at Acts, the 17th chapter, starting in verse 16. Now, while, while Paul was waiting for his friends in Athens, 
He's waiting in Athens. He was deeply distressed to see that the city was full of idols. This is Greece. <laughs> this time, you know, Rome and Greece were like the cultural centers of the world of hedonism and idols and all the other kind of stuff that was going on. Uh, so anyway, he argued in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and also in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there um, and argued. He wasn't being a jerk about it. He's debating with them. They would debate. It's okay to wrestle with people about ideas. Just be nice when you're doing it. Um, so he was doing this uh, in the marketplace with everybody who was there. Uh, verse 18, also some Epicurean and Stoic philosophers debated with him. Some said, what does this babbler have to say? These were the intellectual elites of the world at this time. And they were fascinated with Paul talking, and they just called him a babbler and tried to understand. Others said, he seems to be a proclaimer of foreign divinities. This is because he was telling them the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. So they were intrigued about this. So they, they take him, and they invite him into the Areopagus, where the, all the Greeks were gathering, the big center. And they asked him, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? It sounds rather strange to us. <laughs> so we would like to know what it means. They all spoke with a British accent back then. As well. <laughs> that was the Greeks. They all didn't have People in England watching us right now saying, that's a terrible accent. I'm from Wisconsin. Give me a break. All right. Now, why would they do this? It says, well, all the Athenians and foreigners living there would spend their time in nothing but telling or hearing something new. How do these people make a living? <laughs> I mean, it's one of the things about prosperous cultures is people seem to become less and less productive. It's certainly happening in our country today. You know, it's, it is what it is. It's just you get rocked to sleep and everything kind of systems keep going and stuff. And they just spend all their time sitting around babbling about one thing or the other. Whatever was new, they wanted to, to check it out. All right. So then Paul stood in front of the Areopagus and said, Athenians, I see how extremely religious you are in every way. This was not a slam. You know, you're a bunch of religious weirdos. No, he was, he was actually praising them. Now, what's interesting about this, if you watch Paul's sermons throughout the book of Acts or any of these apostles, they usually were preaching to Jews and that sort of people who understood the Bible. And what they would do is they would open the scriptures to them and they would try to show them this in the Bible and that in the Bible and that in the Bible. And, that. and I've heard it taught so many times uh, those of us who have been around for a while, that this is how you do it. You have to open the Bible and quote this and quote that and quote that. Uh, well, to people who understand that, that's what you do. When you're talking to people who have no idea what you're talking about, it's not particularly helpful. Uh, so he doesn't do that. He gets up there and he says, you know, how religious are very... He says, for as I went through the city and looked carefully at the objects of your worship, I found among them an altar with the inscription, to an unknown God. What therefore you worship is unknown, this I proclaim to you. So they had all these idols, and then there's this idol to the unknown God. He says, I'm going to explain this God to you. All right. Now, who knows what they thought that meant. He's just using it as a point of reference. That thing wasn't made to honor God. It was just to the unknown God, because they ran out of so many gods. They had so many gods, they had to have an unknown God. And then he says, sharing with them, he says, the, uh, the God who made the world and everything in it he who is Lord of heaven and earth does not live in shrines made by human hands, nor is he served by human hands all, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mortals life and breath and all things. From one ancestor, 
He made all nations. He didn't open up the scriptures. You remember Adam and Eve, okay? Because they didn't know anything about Adam and Eve. He said, one ancestor, he made all nations to inhabit the whole world, the whole earth, and he allotted the times of their existence and the boundaries of which the places they would live so they would search for God and perhaps grope for him and find him, though indeed he's not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. And you notice uh, it's in quotes. Do we see in quotes? Yeah. Uh, for in him we move and live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said. For we too are his offspring, also in quotes. Now, uh, oftentimes people will quote this verse as it's a biblical verse. It's in the Bible, but it's not necessarily a biblical verse. He's not quoting scripture. He's quoting their prophets. He's quoting something that was as close to truth as he could find so that he could relate to them. Do you see what he's doing? He hasn't opened up the scripture anywhere. Now he's giving them truth based on the scriptures, which you can do. You don't have to always put a number to things. Okay? Uh, you know, John 3, 16. But you guys remember uh, in the NFL, there's a whole movement for years where guys would be in the end zone holding up a sign, John 3, 16. Anybody remember that? You see, you see in all these games, John 3, 16. And most of the world had no idea what they were talking about. They thought they were sharing the gospel. No, we don't know what that means. You know, just throwing numbers. We had a preacher that uh, some years ago, I don't know if you remember, this, it was on a Wednesday night he came through, and he preached an entire sermon. And the entire sermon, he quoted Bible verses just by numbers and never quoted anything from the verses. The entire time. For example, the word it says in Ephesians 5, 23, and then there's over in John 6, 12, and then we have one after another, after another, after another, and after another, and he got done, and I'm thinking, that was the weirdest sermon I have ever heard. And afterwards, one guy comes up to me and says, Pastor, that was an amazing sermon. I never heard so much scripture in my life. He just rattled numbers. And to him, that, that was like, that's really a lot of scripture. You're not telling people. You have to remember, these numbers weren't added until a long time later. Like 1,500 years later, some guy finally said, we ought to give numbers and stuff so we can find things. Right? This is what we do. They didn't have numbers. You don't need to necessarily be quoting numbers at people. Uh, seriously. Because we were taught, I know when I was growing up back in the 1800s, that this is how you preach the gospel, and you ought to say, John 3, 16, and throw all these numbers and stuff at people. So they know it's biblical, but you're just, you're talking over people's heads. They don't know what you're doing. You don't necessarily have to do that. In fact, you can share the truth of God with people and they don't even know you're quoting it to them. You know, I'm like, trying to share the gospel with Deanna. You know, God, God loved the world so much that he sent his son to die on the cross for our sins. That whoever believes in him could have eternal life. What did I just quote? John 3, 16. <laughs> I didn't have to open up... Right there, and it's John 3, 16. All right? Because God's word is God's word. You don't have to give it numbers for it to be God's word. God doesn't need the numbers to have truth stand on its own two feet. And somebody said, amen. amen. So he quotes a bunch of heathen talking. Uh, for in him we move and live and have everything. There's, there's a lot of songs that use this thing, even Christian worship songs that use this, in him we live and move and have our being. It's, it's just fun. I read it, and I just think it's funny because all he's doing is quoting what the heathens were saying. But it's true. In him we do live and move and have our being, right? See, so, so since we are God's offspring, we ought not to think that the deity is like gold or silver or stone. He's making this 
argument why you don't worship idols, an image formed by the art and imagination of mortals. While God has overlooked at the times of human ignorance, now he commands all people everywhere to repent because, and he, again, he's not showing any scriptures, he's just telling truth. Because he has fixed a day on which he will have the world judged in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some scoffed, ah. Another said, we will hear you again about this. Quite brilliant. And at that point, Paul left. But some of them joined him and became believers, and he wraps off some names of some of the people who became believers. Anyway, the point of this message is that the way he preaches here is dramatically different than when he's talking to people who understood the scriptures. What is he doing? What he said earlier, to all things I become, to all people I become all things, that somehow I might relate to them. Jesus even does this. He approached people differently based on where they were at. One of the most famous ones is John's Gospel, the fourth chapter. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard uh, Jesus is making and baptizing more disciples than John, although it was not Jesus himself, but his disciples who baptized, he left Judea and started back to Galilee. But he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a Samaritan city called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired by his journey, was sitting by the well. It was about noon. Well, a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, uh, could you give me a drink? Because his disciples had gone into the city, uh, to Costco, to get some, something to eat. And the Samaritan woman said to him, you know, how is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me of a Samaritan woman? Now, we talk about cultural walls today. In those days, the walls were so cultural, just by the way they dressed, you could see it. You immediately knew what group everybody belonged to. So this lady immediately recognizes Jesus as a Jew because the way he's dressed, she's a Samaritan woman, the way she's dressed, why are you talking to me? Because we don't have anything to do uh, with each other. Jews do not share things in common with the Samaritans, the scripture says. Anyway, Jesus answered her, you know, if you knew the gift of God and who it was saying to you, give me a drink, you would ask him, and he would have given you living water. So immediately Jesus knows who this lady is. And all he does is ask her for some water. So why are you talking to me? He said, look, if you knew who I was, you'd be asking me for water. The woman said to her, to him, sir, you have no bucket, and the well is deep. Where did you get that living water? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob? The Samaritans, Jews, by the way, shared the same ancestors. Um, but the Jews considered Samaritans, you know, half-breeds, basically, because they intermarried with nations around them. Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us the well with his sons and his flock to drink from it? Jesus said, look, everyone who drinks from this water will be thirsty again, but those who drink of the water I will give them will never be thirsty. The water that I will give him, give them will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. So obviously Jesus is using an analogy. She's thinking regular water. He's starting to talk about spiritual water, something that really satisfies. If you're thirsty today for something you feel is missing in your life, I have good news for you. Whether you're watching us around the world on the internet right now at our campuses in the Fox Valley or Stevens Point or here, if you're that kind of person where you are still hungering for, I have good news for you. Jesus can satisfy what you're thirsting for. He can make up. There's nothing else in the world that can do it. And some of you have tried. You've tried everything the world has to offer. And still, you are thirsty. Something is missing. Jesus says, when you drink of this water, you'll never be thirsty again. In fact, water will bubble up out of you, and you'll be splashing on everybody else. Hallelujah. That's what we're supposed to be doing. People, splashing people. 
The woman said to him, well, sir, give me some of this water so I don't have to be thirsty and come back to the stupid well. And Jesus said, well, go call your husband and come back. <laughs> now, he's being nice, but he's kind of getting to the core of the issue. The woman says, well, uh, I, don't, I don't have a husband. And Jesus said, ah, oh, you know, you're, you're right when you say you don't have a husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands. And the one you have now, you haven't even bothered to marry that one. So what you're saying is true. Now, wow, this girl has been around the block. Now, I've always shared when telling the story that I think undoubtedly this woman was drop-dead stinking gorgeous. Because in that day, if you had one husband and he didn't want you anymore, people pretty much just left you alone. Well, there have been five other guys who signed up for the same deal, and they all got rid of her, and another guy was already lying out at the door again. She was probably stunning an absolutely stunning, physically stunning woman. And Jesus said, well, you're right. Um, you've had five husbands. Now this guy, you haven't even married him. And then she says, sir, I see that you are a prophet. And then she gets into a religious argument with him, which is what a lot of people do. <laughs> they try to change the subject. You know, what do you think about, you know, evolution? Or what do you think about this, that, and the other? And I think you can engage. If Jesus engages with him, it doesn't get into an argument there's no sense in arguing stuff that you can't prove to people one way or the other, especially debating the start of creation. I wasn't there. I can tell what I think about it. I can tell what the Bible says. Well, does that mean literal days or it means millions of years? Does it really matter? I think God did it. That's the point. Now, people have different versions. They think it would take God gazillions of years to do it. I think it took him a day. Quite frankly, I'm the kind of guy, I'm surprised, it took him a day. I have a different version of God in my head, right? So who cares? Why get into these things? You don't have to argue at every little thing people throw in your face when you're trying to share Christ with them. Anyway, so he's sharing with her and uh, jump to verse 27. Just then his disciples came and they were astonished, shocked that he was speaking with a <gasps> Why? And even in the culture, that men and women didn't really engage with each other very much. And he, he's talking to a girl. What? Yeah. What is he doing? But nobody said, uh, why are you speaking with her? <laughs> and they said, I don't want to get yelled at. So when the woman left her jar, water jar, she went back to the city. She said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I've ever done. He cannot be the Messiah, can he? And they left, left the city, and they were on their way to him. Meanwhile, his disciples were urging him, Rabbi, eat something. And he said, I have food to eat that you don't know about. And the disciples were saying, somebody brought him a Big Mac. What's going on? How did this happen? Who got him food? We went to Costco for nothing. What is this? And, and Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to complete his work. Jesus was sharing. He was so satisfied spending time with this woman and showing her the way of life. He did it slowly. He did it gently. He kind of danced around things. Why? He's becoming all things to all people that by some means he might save some. And this is what happened. It changes this lady's life. And he goes, she goes without this, throughout the city telling them about this guy. Verse 40, so when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there for two days. And many more believed because of his word. They finally said to the woman, you know, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for
for ourselves, and we know that this is truly the Savior of the world. This is the way it should happen. Initially, people will engage with faith because of something you said, something you did, someone you invited, something like that. But then the power, the miracle happens when they no longer are here because of what you said. It's because they encounter the living Christ himself. And then God takes over and the epiphanies kick in. And now we have a new person who's got a new way of living as they walk in faith, serving God. Amen. Good preaching, Pastor Mark. That was fabulous. <laughs> I entertain myself of nothing else. All right. We are going to uh, enter our time of communion this morning. This is what we do this every Sunday to remind ourselves of why we're here. We are here because of what Jesus Christ did on that cross 2,000 years ago. His body was brutalized and broken so that we could be made whole. His blood was shed on the cross so we could have forgiveness of sins. This is what we celebrate, the body and the blood of Christ, when we take communion. And the scriptures encourage us, before you do this, Paul wrote in his letter to the Corinthians, before you guys take communion, just examine yourselves. See where you're at with God. And this is always a time where we kind of do a reset. And I'm going to ask you all to bow your heads as I pray a prayer of forgiveness over all of us. Just kind of set things right with God in your own heart. Heavenly Father, before we partake of the bread and cup this morning and in obedience to the scriptures, we pause to, as you said, to examine ourselves. If we have sinned against you in thought, word, or deed, by what we've done, by what we've left undone, if we've not loved you with our whole heart, if we've not loved our neighbors as ourselves, for the sake of your beloved son, Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a sacrifice for our sins, have mercy on us and forgive us of all our sins. Strengthen us in goodness and by the power of your Holy Spirit, keep us in eternal life that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. And maybe just as our heads are bowed, maybe there's something specific, you just got to speak to God quietly and say, Lord, forgive me for whatever it was that you've been struggling with and let him set things right in your heart. And, and maybe this morning you're here and, and listening to this wherever you're at and say, you know, I've, I've never had that kind of experience with God in my life. You can do that. Why don't you just ask him into your life right now? Ask Jesus to come into your life. He won't force his way in. He'll always come if he's invited, but you got to invite him in. Ask him to come into your heart. Ask him to forgive you of all the nasty stuff that you've done and to set things right. Uh, and, and if you do that in faith and in sincerity, you can start to experience this wonderful walk of faith that we've been celebrating so far this morning. Amen.